chocolate is our favourite vice. The taste, texture, aroma, even its packaging are matched by no other product. But does something so wickedly good also mean that it has a dark side? Is chocolate something we should do without? Find out here on the chopping list. Episode 1, Chocolate. Oh no, don't tell me we have to go up chocolate. I love chocolate. You love chocolate. Everybody loves chocolate. We know we eat too much of everything. We certainly eat too much chocolate. But why is it that our chocolate fix is always first on the chopping block when the health revolution comes? Turns out that chocolate is actually a forbidden fruit. Across the Central Americas, the Mayan people believed that chocolate was the drink of choice for their gods, just like Soma for the Greeks and Ambrosia for the Hindus. Of course, these other famous mythical beverages were kept strictly top secret, beyond the reach of mortal men. But the recipe for chocolate got out. Quetzalcoatl was the famous feathered serpent god of Aztec mythology. He was part bird and part rattlesnake but he was also the god of learning and knowledge. But as legend has it, Quetzalcoatl became rather fond of humans, so deliberately leaked the super-secret recipe for chocolate, so humans could enjoy it too. And not surprisingly, the other gods were rather upset about this. They felt that the great unwashed masses were far too plebeian to appreciate this slice of heaven. So, to placate the angry gods, an acceptable compromise was reached. They agreed that only the godlike royalty and the upper classes were then allowed to take chocolate, and then only on special festive occasions like birthdays, Christmas, Easter, Valentine's Day, you know the drill. But when chocolate first arrived in the West, it was imposingly pricey and super exclusive. After gold, cocoa was the next most precious commodity imported from the New World, so not surprisingly, given once again its super-exclusive status and mysterious supernatural origins, chocolate became the vogue drink. Not wishing to miss out on a heavenly good party, the clergy also became fascinated by chocolate. But there was a catch. When periods of strict fasting were prescribed, their love for chocolate made it much harder to stick with the plan. We all know that feeling. To fix this dilemma, the Bishop of Rome made a special dispensation that taking chocolate did not mean that the devout had broken their diet. At least officially now, chocolate was not sinful. Hooray! Another obvious reason why chocolate has become so popular is the pursuit of pleasure. And chocolate is certainly physically and mentally pleasurable. It turns out that chocolate is a highly versatile delivery system for sugar. And that is why chocolate is almost perfect. Modern chocolates are really just a thin coating of chocolate over a generous sugar filling. But because chocolate contains some very bitter chemicals, kind of like coffee in that respect, it is possible to disguise some of the super sweetness of things like candy or caramel 
or malted milk and covered in chocolate. But there is also something about the way the fat molecules in chocolate are packed. This keeps chocolate solid at room temperature, kind of like butter. And like butter, chocolate then melts as it is warmed up. Fortunately for chocolate, this happens only very slowly and over a range close to body temperature. And this allows chocolate to slowly soften, creating that lovely melting sensation in our mouth that only fat can achieve. It also keeps our fingers clean for the few seconds it takes to transfer a piece of chocolate to our lips. This is very different, however, to something like ice, which is at one moment frozen solid, and the next moment is a puddle. Sucking on ice is a wholly different experience to the wonderful, pleasurable, warm, soft sensation of letting chocolate melt in your mouth. By melting and or solidifying so easily, it means that we can pour chocolate into molds of almost any shape, even a hollow egg for that matter, and have it set hard, at least until it reaches our lips. We can have a fountain of liquid chocolate or a castle of solid chocolate, which would never be possible with almost any other cooking ingredient. Even melted butter never perfectly returns to its original form. Melting chocolate only becomes an issue on really hot days, or if you've got chocolate sitting in your pocket. The smart solution, of course, was to insulate the chocolate in a crispy thin layer of sugar, which doesn't melt very easily, but then quickly dissolves in your mouth when mixed with the moisture of it. This clever way of delivering chocolate became known as Smarties, and their success was revolutionary. Even soldiers could now carry chocolates without getting their rifle or their trigger fingers sticky. But Forrest Mars Sr. was the real chocolate smarty. For while working in England in the 1930s, he'd already invented Maltesers, a ball of malted milk covered in dark chocolate. But during the Spanish Civil War, he saw soldiers eating Smarties, with chocolate safely on the inside of the candy. On his return to America, he quickly patented his own process, and in 1941, the first M&Ms began to be produced. The first M, of course, stood for Mars himself. The second for Bruce Murray, the son of the head of Hershey Chocolates. There was a war on in Europe at the time, so only Hershey had an assured supply of chocolate. So soon the heat-resistant, easy-to-transport chocolate was included in the soldiers' rations. And the rest is history. M&M's global domination. All from Smarties. Beyond the exclusive luxury, creative moulding and the sweet melt-in-the-mouth pleasure of chocolate, another important reason that it took off in popularity was that chocolate was an exotic, mind-altering drug. Kid you not. In fact, it was sold initially as such. Some of this effect is obviously psychological. A little indulgence can always lift our mood, but there are actually mind-altering chemicals in chocolate. Just as coffee is a drug mule for caffeine, chocolate delivers to our brain another potent chemical called theobromine. Its chemistry is about 98% similar to that of caffeine, so theobromine has a similar pick-me-up effect on our brain as a cup of tea or coffee, helping us to focus, lifting our mood and creating a sense of optimism. Of course, in racehorses, both caffeine and theobromine are banned substances because they are both performance-enhancing. Chocolate really enhances performances, especially in horses, but also in all of us. In dogs, however, dark chocolate, and coffee for that matter, 
is rapidly fatal, proving that there's far more than fat and sugar in chocolate. But then there is chocolate, and then there is chocolate. Because dark chocolate is more cocoa than butter, it usually contains enough theobromine to change our minds. Regular milk chocolate has four times less cocoa powder, so about four times less theobromine. White chocolate, however, is made exclusively from cocoa butter and has almost no theobromine to speak of. White chocolate probably shouldn't even be considered chocolate at all, it's just butter and sugar. Another possible reason that chocolate has maintained its global popularity is that it hasn't obviously killed millions of other people, unlike other classic vices like smoking, alcohol and drug taking that we'd never think of sharing with our children as we do with chocolate. If anything, chocolate comes out smelling like roses. The idea of chocolate being actually good for you partly comes from the old-fashioned notion that being fat was a sign of good, robust health. And it's easy to understand why we might start thinking this. At a time when starving waifs were starving, the fats in cocoa butter were a potent source of calories in years gone by. They saved lives. Yet today, these calories are now unwanted in the modern war against our waistline. All of us believe that chocolate makes us fatter, or at least it should be making us fatter. Chocolate certainly provides additional energy that our modern lives simply don't need. The fat, the sugar, the calories contained in a Snickers bar, for example, are similar to those expended by jogging for half an hour. And if we're trying to keep our waists in check, and especially if we're not jogging, every calorie counts. But then again, there are many other things in our diet that provide just as many calories. Many of these fly under the radar. By contrast, chocolate wears its calories on its sleeve. Typically, there are about 500 calories for every 100 grams of chocolate. It's very obvious that we shouldn't overdo it. There is also a strange notion that people who eat chocolate on a regular basis tend to be thinner than those who do not. This is widely known as the chocolate paradox. Most rational people think that this is just the heretical conclusion of chocoholic scientists hoping to validate their own extravagance by misinterpreting the data. But one obvious reason is that overweight people already know that they should eat less, and usually the first things they are told to avoid are those high-calorie snacks, like chocolate. Overweight people are also less likely to admit they have eaten chocolate due to feelings of guilt from eating the wrong thing. And that's why it seems that people who are overweight eat less chocolate than those of a normal weight. The other problem is that everybody knows we all have a second stomach into which we always can fit more chocolate. But this is because the feelings of fullness and the intake of sufficient calories are not the only reasons we eat. Most of us get enough daily nutrients in a single meal, let alone three square meals a day, so there must be other reasons why we would persist in eating more than we physically require. Sometimes it's just habit and routine. It's mealtime or it's break time, so we eat. Other times it's the comfort and the pleasure we get from eating. And this is known as hedonic eating. And this is possibly one of the most important reasons for overeating in this day and age. We need to get pleasure from what we eat. But sometimes, obviously the cause of overeating can be the solution. If it's pleasure we crave, and a little chocolate can be a perfect gratification. 
And if it's the good stuff, not milk chocolate or white chocolate, and it's a little exclusive, all the better. This may partly explain the chocolate paradox, whereby chocolate eaters get the pleasures they lack in their food, so don't need to eat more to get their kicks, so don't get so fat. The bottom line is that it's not unhealthy to love chocolate, but only in moderation. In the context of a healthy diet, the best way to eat less is to thoroughly enjoy what we eat. And for all its soft, smooth, sweet wonder, chocolate is thoroughly enjoyable. There are many more things that offer much less enjoyment that we eat every day, just out of habit. And for what? So, don't give up chocolate. It doesn't need to be on the chopping list. But buy the pure, good stuff, which is more expensive, so you'll eat less of it anyway. But most of all, thoroughly enjoy it. That's what chocolate is for. For more information about chocolate and other things that you can do for your longevity, please read The Longevity List by Merlin Thomas, published by Exile Press, available from all good bookstores and from exilepublishing.com. Thank you for listening.